All right. That's a great video. Fantastic. We're, you're going to be seeing those uh, about every other week um, this, this year as we work on cultivating joy. So um, I'm, I am filled with joy just to be here the, this morning. And I know Cody mentioned these uh, um, wonderful, um, they're, they're silicone glasses. They're, they make, they're great for the boat and the patio and that kind of thing that um, we're doing for our Lake Ann uh, Camp Scholarship. It's the Lily Ramos Lake Ann Camp Scholarship. And those are in the foyer, but if you are online this morning, um, you can go to the church app or northbridge.me and sign up. And all you do is uh, you select a, a dollar amount that goes towards that camp scholarship and either we'll deliver or you can come and pick these up. And uh, we're, it's a way that we remember Lily. She was one of our teenagers um, that follows a particular pattern. Her spiritual growth followed a particular pattern. She was taught at home who God is and um, the fact that he is uh, our redeemer. And then camp, camp is a, a tool in the tool belt for the church and parents. Because oftentimes when kids go to camp, they begin to think about, there's that time that they begin to think about the things that they've been taught in church and especially at home. And God uses that time, that uh, time away and being taught the word of God. And oftentimes they come to a place of decisiveness for themselves and we've seen that over and over and over again as our young people have gone to to Lake Ann camp and that was a special place for Lily and uh, it's a special place for a lot of our families and so that's a way that you can help young people go to camp this summer by signing up for um, for that so do take advantage of that and those are some nice gifts that you get as a bonus that goes along with that um, okay so <clears throat> the uh, we're back in First Timothy, and I was designing the slides for this morning. And so this is point number one, right there, building a gospel-centered household. Uh, that is Lewis Christian Brandon. He was born last Sunday to Cole and Zeta. And so, you know, um, the graphic designer, he put another one in there as well. Point number two. Um, and then we have point number three this morning, and point number four. All right, there we go. That's really exciting. We're, we're excited. Congratulations to Cole and Zeta, um, and it's great to be uh, a grandparent. Uh, it seems so odd to say, but feels so wonderful. It's a good thing. So, all right, now let's get into what we came here for. First Timothy, take your Bibles and turn to First Timothy chapter 3. First Timothy chapter 3. I'm going to be reading for you verses 1 through 8 of 1 Timothy chapter 3. Um, so let's look to the scriptures this morning. If you're at home as well, I hope you're gathered around the TV or your device and you've got your Bible open as well so that we can look at the scriptures together. Let's follow along as I read for you verses 1 through 8. This is a trustworthy saying. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, 
or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into the snare of the devil. This is the word of the Lord. As we look at this passage, I want to just give an introduction. It may take a little while to get to exploring the scriptures and teaching the scriptures this morning. But I think it's important that we think about a few things in the way of understanding the scriptures this morning. I think we need to think about faithfulness. What does it mean to be faithful? Uh, what does it mean, let's, let's talk about this um, in a household context. What does it mean for a father to be faithful to his family? Well, certainly what comes to mind Um, it's at the front of our minds, is moral fidelity. That's important. Um, We we would say, yes, moral fidelity is very important to faithfulness for a father in a family. But what else? What else is part of that? Because while that's a, a central thing, it's not the only thing. It's not the only thing. What does faithfulness mean? What does it mean for a father to be faithful? Does faithfulness mean that he spends all of his time with his family. Is that faithfulness? You may say, well, he's got to go to work, right? They're sleeping. Um, I, I just, I heard a statistic and these things stick. Um, it was by a gentleman who was 67 years old. He had calculated that meant for 22 years of his life, he was sleeping. Let me just think about that. Um, so if, you know, if you're half of that, you can, you know, 11 years of your life sleeping. Does it mean that you know, you're in the presence does that, of, of your family to be faithfulness. Is it faithful simply to put food on the table and a roof over your head? Is that what it means to be a faithful father? Well, there's, there's three things that come to my mind when you think about faithfulness, right? There has to be a desire to be faithful if it's going to happen, right? Because without that desire, there's, there's drift, and drift can happen all kinds of different ways. There has to be some tools or skills Right? In order for faithfulness to, to, for faithfulness to a family, there has to be certain tools and skills. But perhaps most importantly, and it's a thing that we miss, is there has to be a goal or a purpose. Right? So for a father to be faithful, what really is at the center, but oftentimes missed, is what is the purpose of a family? That's so very important. What's the purpose of a family? Let me me look at it this way, okay? Um, Think about a house or a home, a a physical building, right? No one um, goes to a home and and simply admires its two-by-fours. Look at those two-by-fours. Now, if the wall is crooked or something like that, you're going to notice that kind of thing, but you know, nobody just goes like, oh, look at these two-by-fours. That's not what a house is for, right? That's not what a house is for. And um, a, a house um, itself, the elements of a house is very different than a home. You know, so um, we have been contemplating like, okay, um, should we sell our house? Do we, you know, we're at that, um, that phase, in our, do we upsize to accommodate for grandchildren? That's what Grace is voting for. Do we downsize? You know, what, what do we do? And our kids are like, you're going to do what? You're going to sell our home? We want you to live here forever. And is it because they're in love with the two by fours? 
No. Why? Because that's not like the, is it because they like the configuration of the, the, the plans of the home? No, not at all. Right? That's, that's not, but it's, it's their understanding of what that house or that home is for. What is it for? That's what makes a house a home. Right? And, and so that's, that's important. So when we think about this, as we get into what it means to be an elder and what are the qualifications of an elder, we have to ask ourselves, what does it mean to be a faithful Christian? And I think this list that we see here, this faithful saying and the office of elder gets at what it means to be a faithful Christian. It gets at, and we don't have time to explore all of this in detail, but what is the purpose of a church in a Christian's life? What is the purpose of a church in the Christian's life? I said this was going to be a little bit of a long introduction, um, so I want us to think through these concepts. Like, what is this for? If we don't really look at this, we can get into this list and we can look at qualifications in a certain way. And I don't think the scriptures, I think we need to look at the qualifications in the flow of the, the text. And that's what I'm getting at. That's what I want to point us towards. Because when we talk about what it means to be a faithful Christian, we, we have to understand that we are first and primarily citizens of heaven. We are first and primarily um, citizens of heaven. But where is that, that expression of citizenship? Where does that take place? Um, how does that take place? You see, that's getting at the essence of what is church for. If we understand that we're citizens of heaven, the writer of Hebrews said this, but, but you, now this is New Testament Hebrews, book of Hebrews speaking to who? The church. So the church, so Christians, to you. But you have come to Mount Zion in the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. You see, you are a citizen in heaven. You're enrolled in heaven. But you have a dual citizenship, right? Because you're a citizen of heaven doesn't allow you to be an irresponsible citizen of earth. So this is a complex thing. It's a complex thing. You have, you have a responsibility. All of us have a responsibility to the tasks that, we, that are here on earth but we have an allegiance as a citizen of heaven. I mean, there's a purpose. So there's a purpose for all humanity that God is moving the, the course of history towards. You know, there are multiple times uh, that we see in the Old Testament scriptures um, where, so such as the flood. And there were times in Israel's history where God said, I'm just going to close the chapter on all humanity, but he doesn't. And he, he tells us why. Why? Because there's a purpose that God has. There's a purpose that God has for 
you for all humanity and for the church in the course of history. Um, in fact, in Genesis 8, he says this, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. Why? Because God is doing something. He's, he's preserving life um, on this planet. Why is God doing that? Why is God preserving life every single day? Why has God placed the structures in all of humanity? Because he is seeking to redeem. He's seeking to redeem. He has a plan. And so there's these structures and he's preserving all humanity, whether it's, it's ecologically or politically, right? He is preserving. Why? Because there's something that he's doing. In 1 Peter, in chapter 3, it says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness. Right? We all would say amen to that. Like, God is working. And it seems slow, but he's not slow. But is patient towards you, wishing, not, or sorry, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. The Bible's clear. The Bible's clear. Like God is, is doing something in all of humanity, right? So you know, we can look at this in a couple of different levels. We could say, well, what's a house for? What's fatherhood for? Right? What is the church for? What does it mean to be a Christian? What is being a Christian for? What is God doing in all humanity? The Bible gives us instruction in that. In Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20, it says, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. Teaching them all. So God is redeeming. Now, this is where this gets complex, and that's why I brought up like, the idea of fatherhood, because it's complex. It's not a simple thing. When you, even when you know what fatherhood is for or being what a Christian is for, there's lots of responsibilities that you have in the role of being a father or the role of being a mother or being a Christian. Right? There's lots of things. So it gets really, really complex. It's, it's not a simple thing. We have many responsibilities, but when we know what we're here for, Right? When we know that our whole purpose is to what? To bring glory to God. And what is God doing? God is bringing redemption to this planet. And how is he doing that? He's doing that through his church. When we know what God is, is doing, then we can begin to prioritize. And we can begin to rank things and say, this is more important than that. It's a responsibility. And some of your responsibilities, our responsibilities, have to fall away. We can't do them. Right? We, just, we just don't have enough time. They're good things, but we just can't do them. Because to do all of them, or even to do some, maybe some of the ones that we like ahead of the ones that are essential to why we are here and what we are for, is to exchange the glory of God for a lie. You say, well, wait a minute, Ray. Where are you going with this? The text is pretty simple. Well, I'm, I'm going with this. I wanted to bring you to this place of complexity because 
we live in a complex age. So I don't want to oversimplify our responsibility or scripture. But I do want to get to a point and show you a point. Do you know what in 2020 the leading cause of death was? Do you know what the leading cause of death? So if you take actually almost all of the leading causes of death combined, there's no other leading cause that rivals or comes close to the leading cause of death in the world. And you can check me. You want to do my fact checking. These are statistics that are easily and readily available um, from very reliable sources. um, And you can find these things simply with your phone in the next few moments. But you can combine like cancer, um, death from accidents. You can combine that with with death from suicide. You can combine that with multiple, and it will not rival that the leading cause of death worldwide is abortion. It's abortion. Now, I I said this is complex, right? Um, So the leading cause of abortion, abortion is the leading cause of death worldwide. It's the leading cause of death in America. And when you look at where abortions or what communities that abortions take place or what ethnicities, over 60, nearly 70% of the the abortions that take place happen in black and brown communities. And so you you can see all of the implications. Now, what are the solutions? What, What are the solutions to that? Well, they're complex, the solutions are very complex, but if we look at the scriptures and we look at the Bible, right, we ask, what is God doing in the world? He's bringing hope through Jesus Christ. Right, so we are living in this age where that's, that's just one thing that we could address, right? There's multiple things that we could talk about. And we say, now, abortion is really important, There's a lot of other things we could put on the radar and say, what's really important that we do? How do we as a church address these wrongs and injustices? Right? But in in some ways, if we focus on simply the crooked wall in the house, and that's it, and we don't know what the house is for, we'll miss the whole thing. If we're a father and we simply think that putting food on the table and a roof over your head is enough, we'll miss the whole thing, right? So so here, Paul is, in the text, Paul's writing to Timothy, a pastor. And one of the, the roles is to appoint elders in the church. And what we see here is that um, they have to be qualified, faithful men. Why? Because faithfulness to the gospel of Jesus is the most important thing. It's the tip of the spear to hope. It's the answer. Without the gospel and without the church maintaining the gospel as the first thing, we have no hope. Hope is in Jesus. Everything is watershed from that. Right? Everything is watershed. You use the term culture. I'm strange. I'm strange. I like words. You think about that word, right? Culture, there's the word cult in that. 
Right? There's the, so, and, and we use that in a negative sense. Let me put it in a positive sense. Right? It just simply means that which you worship. Right? So we do not live in a secular society. We live in a society that has many gods. Right? Culture follows from the cult. Right? So in a, let's put that in a positive sense because I'm going to apply it to the church. Right? Right? That worship is preeminent. And what follows culture, and you can see this, it's absolutely undeniable. What follows culture? Politics. Politics will follow culture. What follows culture? That which we worship. So what is most important in the church and in the home? That which we worship. So what is Paul saying to Timothy here in chapters 1 and 2? What is our aim? Our aim is love that what? Comes from a pure heart and sound doctrine, right? We have to maintain the worship of God. We have to be faithful. And we can see this in recent history. Um, churches that have gone the way of the godless culture are dying. But here's the hope. Churches that are remaining faithful to the word of God are flourishing. Faithful churches even in difficult times. And I think, I, 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 I think we need, what we need in the church is we need people who have eyes that are realists with the hope of the gospel. There's two ditches. One is optimism and the other is pessimism. We can fall into both of those. What we need are eyes that see the world as it is and see the hope of the gospel. We have to be realists, and I think we're headed into even more difficult times. But we're not headed into those times without the hope of the gospel. That's why we need to study a passage like this, because we need at, at the helm of the church elders. It's plural in Scripture. Um, it is, um, it's the plurality of elders who are faithful faithful to the word of God. And so that's what we need to see because we can look at the idea of qualified um, as a sprint. This one is more qualified than that one. And there's, tr there's, there's truth that there, there, men have more maturity than others, um, but some have maturity in this way and not in this way or it's growing in this way. And so we have to be careful how we look at qualified. Qualified here, Paul is pointing towards is faithfulness faithfulness are they faithful so we have this morning three areas that are marked out here um, in the text three marks of faithful elders so let's look at the text um, together he, he begins by saying this i know that was a long introduction but i think you, it's important for us to understand this and understand why it is so important that we look at the scripture in this way he says this the, the saying is trustworthy if anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. So there must have been some kind of saying in the early church, right? Some kind of mantra or saying. And so he begins, he's saying, hey, this is, this is true. Um, this is good. This is fine. This is, this is praiseworthy. Um, that an individual has, that a man has a desire um, for the office of of a, a pastor, um, the word pastor, elder, bishop, shepherd, those terms are used interchangeably. They are the same office. 
And he's saying it's a good thing to have this particular desire, to desire it. He is not saying that to be ambitious towards this is a bad thing. We, we know from looking at chapter 2 that um, that is something that's a mark of masculinity to be ambitious, to be an initiator, um, to move towards this. And he's saying this is trustworthy and true, to have ambition for shepherding, for the spiritual growth of others is a good thing. It's a good thing. And so we, we need men. This is a, it's a difficult thing, I think, in our day and our age to find men who are ambitious to see other people grow spiritually. You know, men can be ambitious about a number of things. If you, if you look at the nature of masculinity, you will find that men are ambitious in particular ways, right? That's something that's part of the makeup of how God has created us. We are made to work, and we're made to not stop working, but to continue to work until God's end in our life that we quit working. It, it might change. It may change. Um, we're, we're called, the Proverbs challenge us and call us to um, to build wealth, and the reason that we are to build wealth, and you can build wealth in a number of ways. I was listening to an individual talk about wealth building, and he talked about technology, how technology itself is, is wealth, right? So he said when, you know, Adam went and used a stick, technology, and knocked that pineapple, pineapple? No, they grow on the ground, um, coconuts um, from the um, the tree or whatever, that he started to use technology. It was a means for um, wealth building. And so when you acquire these kinds of things, what we are called to do as men is to use those things to do what? To, to help people grow, to, to help those around us flourish. And that's just ongoing. That's, that's part and parcel of how God has created us. Well, here Paul is saying, this is the word of God, that for men, and I believe it applies to women as well, but in this particular way, it is good for a man to desire, to have this desire that those around him grow spiritually. Now, this is important in a church, but I think the application can be made as well in a home. Um, that, is, that it is not just, well, this is good, but if you don't have it, it's okay. No, I, I think actually it's something that all men at a certain level need to have, right? Ought to have for their, for their spouse, um, for their family, that he's saying that, but it's absolutely necessary that those that, that lead in the church, that they're modeling this, that they desire to see the cultivation of the gospel in people, that that's important. Why? Because... That's what needs to be replicated in all the people, in every person, but in particular ways in some people. So first, there is this, this aspiration or to, to aspire. Um, secondly, we'll see that um, the second mark of a faithful elder, of a qualified faithful elder, is, is moral. Is moral. That's the second Qualification. There's moral qualifications for an overseer must be morally upright. So when you, when you talk about morality, morality is taking the word of God and ap applying it to living 
It's applying it to, to living and, and understanding using wisdom. And so it's, it's not just simple morality, but it's, it is moral wisdom, right? It's not just knowing a standard, um, but being able to apply the, the standard. Um, no one should be able to look on a man and say, in truth, his, his life is marked by sin. He's a hypocrite. But rather, in the way that he lives, he should live in consistency with the word of God. Now, um, Paul doesn't mean that of this that um, there should be no critics. Uh, we're going to live in a day and age where all Christians are opposed at a certain level and opposed even more and more. Um, Paul had many that opposed him, deserted him, um, were ashamed of him. We see this in, in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 8, 15, 16, chapter 4, verses 10, verses 4 through 16. Um, Paul was accused of, um, of being fickle, foolish, overly weak, overly harsh, um, he is derided for being a rabble-rouser, a, a violator of the Torah, an enemy of the law of Moses. Um, in, in, in many people's eyes, Paul was not uh, above reproach or have a good reputation with outsiders. Um, we can see this same dynamic in Jesus, right? Jesus um, could, a lot of things that Jesus said could be labeled controversial or embattled. Right, So he was accused of being a, a, a glutton and a drunkard. You're going to study this from Luke, Luke chapter 7, a false prophet, a Sabbath breaker, a friend of sinners. He, he was in, accused of being insane, demon-possessed, a blasphemer. And how did he die? He died as a, with convicted criminals on either side of him. Kevin DeYoung said this, it's a book ending, so top and tail of this passage are phrases that are similar. Um, he said this, Kevin Young said, in short, the idea behind above reproach, the top, and well thought of, the tail, is largely the same. An elder, pastor, overseer must live a life of Christ-like character and virtue that is not easily refuted by those who know him best. The closer you are to him and the closer you look, the better the character of Christian maturity appears. So let's get into the list. He must be the husband of one wife. The husband of one wife. Um, this does not mean that an overseer has to be married. Um, Paul most likely was not married. Jesus was not married. But he, if he is married... He needs to be characterized by what? Faithfulness to the one that he is married to. And it is the husband of one wife, right? With one, there is wisdom. With more than one, there is foolishness, right? We, we know this um, certainly not simply from just moral infidelity, but we look at the Old Testament, and there's a pattern. And you might say, well, why didn't God say this earlier? Um, why didn't God tell these Old Testament men um, that, hey, uh, accumulating wives is just a problem? Well, there's, he eventually did. Have you ever noticed that simply telling someone what the problem is doesn't necessarily change their mind? 
I mean, you can do that with some of your friends, some of your, your children. Sometimes, sometimes you have to tell them. Um, sometimes you, ha- you have to um, allow them to discover this on, his own, on, on your own. God certainly set the pattern in the garden. There was instruction. Adam and Eve knew this. Uh, but you look at the Old Testament. Wherever they strayed, wherever men strayed from this, it does not end up well ever ever and so here he says very clearly faithfulness the husband of of one wife i guess that's the end the lights went out that's okay we'll keep going we'll keep going um so it must be the the husband of one wife um must be sober minded sober minded um, the, the, the translation on, on this idea of sober-minded is difficult to, to capture. Some of your Bibles may say temperate, meaning like self-restrained or disciplined um, or moderate. Um, the ESV that re- here says simply sober-minded. When we kind of put these ideas together, we get the idea that um, uh, an elder must be alert, clear, clear-headed, disciplined in his way of life, disciplined in his way of life. Um, next, self-controlled. It's a term very similar to the one prior to this. Um, the, the, the original language suggests, is, suggests prudence, thoughtfulness, sensibility, sensibility. Next is respectable. Um, this means modest, well-ordered, moderate. So he must behave in a way becoming of a Christian man and a leader within Christ's church. Right? So, so respectable, doing things in a respectable way. We'll leave hospitable and able to teach. I want to comment that on them a little bit later. But in verse 3, we find the next requirement, not a drunkard. You know, like all of these requirements, this applies to all Christians, but is required of overseers. It must not be given to drunkenness. That's what the NIV says. Um, do not get drunk on wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, according to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. Next, he must not be violent. And this doesn't refer simply to throwing fists, although it pl- applies to that, um, but also relational violence. He must not be combative or aggressive or contentious, picking a fight with people. So, so the next one is gentle, not quarrelsome. Right? So there's a contrast between the two. Instead of being combative, aggressive, or contentious, an elder needs to be gentle and peaceful. Now that doesn't mean that they don't confront, uh, for that's a responsibility of um, an elder. So sometimes people take this idea of gentle and not quarrelsome as, um, as soft. But we see that the, the role of an elder requires oftentimes uh, the confrontation um, of error and sin. Listen what Paul says in Titus 1. He says this, he commands Titus, rebuke sharply that they may be sound in the faith, not devoting themselves to myths and commandments of people who turn away from the truth. So gentle and not quarrelsome does not mean soft. 
but it doesn't mean that they are engaged on a regular basis in Twitter battles and those kinds of things, always looking for this kind of a fight. Next, not a lover of money. We know from the scriptures that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Uh, in Paul and Timothy's day, people um, could make money through religion. In our day, people can make money through religion. And it's not, by making money, it's not sustaining a living. What Paul, Paul is, is talking about here in instructing Timothy is you have an individual who loves money and is, is working because of that simply to make money. That's wrong. In our day and age, there are those that will put on the appearance of religion, will sometimes create their own religion and their own following, their own brand and their own platform simply um, for gain. And Paul says that's not why an elder serves. He says that an overseer next is to be humble. In verse 6, we read, he must not be a recent convert or he may be puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. So not a recent convert. Um, it gives way to not a recent convert. Why? Because the individual, if he's a recent convert, might think that he's in this position because of what's in him rather than what's in Christ. And he needs some time to learn that it's not about what, is, what an elder possesses in skills, talents, and ability. But this is all about an elder is a signpost, right? It's a signpost. Again, what are signs for? No one has, you know, no one's gone out and like hugged the sign to Cedar Point. I love this place because you're not there. We all know this, that as elders in and of ourselves, we are not heaven. We are not Jesus. We are simply wooden boards, bricks, and metal that point the way. But we have to be pointing the way to Jesus. That's the purpose of the sign. That's the purpose of the sign. And so pride cannot, he's saying, don't allow this elder to be not, not young, but a recent convert, inexperienced. Why? Because the sign shouldn't point to itself. That's futility. The sign has to point to Jesus. That's humility. Pride can be incredibly destructive. It can destroy both the person as well as the people around. And so he's helping avoid, he's helping avoid damage by saying, no, there needs to be some level of maturity. So these are the moral qualification. There's much more that could be said about that. But also within these, um, there is the third qualification of faithfulness, which is to lead. And I want to pause at, at this and say, what's not on the list? Just think about that for a moment. And we're going to bring this to a close rather, rather quickly here. But I, I want to give some time to, to, to ask you, what is not on this list? What's not? I mean, that would be something for you to like look at the list, consider for yourself or if you have a family, what's not on the list? Now, let me say this. I don't think the list is absolutely comprehensive. 
right? So you can look at this and you can say, well, from over here in Scripture, and, and this is not the only list. There's, there are other places that are given qualifications, and it would be wise to compare um, those places in Scripture. But what's not on the list? Are there some things on your list Right? So there's some people that come in and they say, well, an elder should have this particular skill. Right? One of the things that I remind the elders um, is that, well, you know, while that's good and that's proper in the overseeing of the church, you don't have to be skilled in that particular area. It's one of the reasons as well, I think, that this, there, there aren't a lot of skills listed on this is that by God's design, the church is led by not one, but multiple elders. Um, because just like in a marriage where one lacks, the other one complements. Right? So that's a point that I want you to think about. Because this point here, to lead, is important. There's two things that are on this list um, when it comes to leading the church that an elder needs to have. There's two things. One, he's got to be able to care, and he has to be able to teach Right? So first, he has to be able to demonstrate that, that he cares for the flock. Look at verse 4. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? Right? So here the elder is, is to, to care, to, to lead, to care. And he's, he's saying, how is he to care for and to lead in this particular way the church? He's he needs to demonstrate this in his own personal life. He needs to be able to demonstrate that he, can, that he can care for and that he can lead where? His own family. That's the idea of this household. Do you see this? And notice that it says with dignity, keeping his children in submission. Now we could spend a lot of time talking about parenting, right? But, but that, that phrase, with all dignity, with all dignity, it means that he knows how to manage his household um, it, with behavior that's befitting dignity or respect. It means propriety, befitting behavior. So there has to be within the household a strong leadership that is both loving and gentle. It's Jesus-style leadership. right? So it doesn't say certain things about his children, right? That they are, um, that they're good at this or they, they do this well. But what? They, there's, there's a relationship between that man and his children that they have a certain respect. Sometimes my children are in the room, sometimes not obedience, but there is a, um, there is a loving, firm, yet gentle, directional leadership that's given in the home, right? That's, that's important. How, do you, how are you gonna know this? How are you gonna know that he knows how to care for his family well? Well, that's part of that other qualification that's mentioned here is hospitable. Doesn't mean that the, the home um, of the pastor is open um, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, but that his life is open and his home is open. Like literally his physical home that he's welcoming, he and his wife, his family are welcoming people in. Again, not just to their house, right? But that the, the mark 
of an elder is that he's welcoming people into his life. Right? He's allowing people to see, especially the other elders, to see his life, that he has that stance, that he's not closed, but he's hospitable. People see him, his family, his children. Right? That's, that's a mark of an elder. I would encourage you, and this is not a comment on size of church. I don't think that there is a, a moral size of church. But I do think that as you attend Northbridge, if God were to um, move you somewhere else, that you ought to be able to know the pastor and have some kind of insight. Um, it's not going to be the same as everyone. Certainly, you get a lot of insight through the preaching on Sunday morning. Um, you know, you know things about me and our family because, you know, I'm sharing them. <laughs> Sometimes my children don't appreciate all that I share. Um, but I'm sharing. You're going to have that level of insight. But you ought to be at a church where you know that there are those that have deeper insight into the elders' lives and their families' lives. Even though you might not have um, total unencumbered access, there ought to be some kind of relationship. Why? Because he's a shepherd, right? And even as Christ knows the sheep who are his, so the local pastor and elders ought to know their people and their people ought to know them. That's very important. Finally, he's, he has to be able to teach. It was stated in verse 2 um, that the, one of the qualifications is able to teach. He's got to be able to communicate clearly God's word. That's part of teaching. Um, that's, that is, or that's part of the qualification in the church, and I would say it's also part of the qualifications in the household. Right? That's part of what we do in our homes is that the word of God needs to be given out in similar fashion to what happens here on Sunday. There should be something that's reflected in the home that happens in a very similar way, not the same way. If you have little pulpits in your living room, um, that's probably not appropriate. But the word of God should be given out on a regular basis in a teaching format. That's where a pastor learns to teach and to lead and that is the qualification that he must be able to equip faithfully, faithfully the flock. So how does this apply to, to you? Well, I've given some application. I've given some application to you. Like this is, this is written because we all need to have this desire to see people flourish spiritually. If that's not a desire, consider what's happening in your heart. We all need to be moving towards Christ-likeness. Jesus has made that way. He has given us that grace. And so there ought to be observable forward progress in the life of a believer. And then we are to listen, learn, teach the word of God. But also, if you're a member of the church, you have a particular responsibility to ensure that those that stand in this pulpit and those that lead meet these qualifications. They are elders. Why? What's at stake? Faithfulness. The gospel, the word of God is at stake. I'm gonna pray. Before I pray, though, um, with those of you that are home and online and those that are here in the room, if you would just 
um, take your phone and um, this morning go to the, the church app or northbridge.me and there's a place for you to respond, to respond to the word of God this morning. Just take a few moments and consider your response to God's word as the worship team comes and sings. Let's pray. God, your church is your bride. Um, it is the most precious thing to you. So Lord, help us to steward by your spirit and by your word um, what you have entrusted. Even as Paul writes to Timothy and he says to entrust to faithful men the teaching of the word of God. Lord, make us faithful. And Lord, we ask as well this morning that you would, even from the men in this room, that you would raise up leaders, servants of Jesus that look like him. And Lord, we confess that in many of these things we fall short. Strengthen us, give us grace, nourish us, feed us, grow us. And Lord, we ask for your protection on your leaders at Northbridge. Um, Lord, continue to work in our hearts and our lives. Keep confession of sin a regular thing and keep us in your word. May we be found faithful. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.